Welcome to session 35 of the Bible in a Year commentary. If you started this series on the 1st of January, then today should be the 4th of February. Today we'll be looking at Leviticus 16 to 18 and Psalm 35. But so far in Leviticus, we've explored various aspects of Israelite ritual lives. We've began with detailed instructions on ritual sacrifices, including bird, grain, peace and sin offerings. These offerings, each with a specific purpose, symbolise the Israelites' commitment to God. The sin offering, notably, is for unintentional sins, highlighting the importance of intention in their faith. We then read through the ordination of the priests. They were prepared through washing, clothing and anointing. This signified their readiness to serve God. Unfortunately, two of Aaron's sons were struck down because they didn't follow God's instructions. We then shifted to ritual purity, detailing clean and unclean foods. This isn't about health, but ritual cleanliness. Certain animals were deemed unclean due to their ambiguous nature, like amphibians. We addressed post-childbirth purification for women. This wasn't a punishment, but as a recovery period to regain wholeness before entering God's presence. We then read about skin diseases and mould. They were used to symbolise the physical manifestation of sin and its contaminating effects. The serious way the Israelites dealt with skin disease and mould reflected a profound respect for purity and the presence of God. It was to remind the Israelites of the need to be clean and whole before God. This leads us to today's reading where we look at what it means to get clean. So let's jump in with Leviticus 16 to 18. So far, we've seen instructions for individual offerings and sacrifices for specific sins and mistakes that people make. The problem with this is that the things fall through the net. So God brings in one final offering that happens once a year and becomes a catch-all. In Hebrew, this becomes known as Yom Kippur. In English, we know it as the Day of Atonement. First of all, God reminds Aaron that he cannot come into the Holy of Holies, the center of the tabernacle, whenever he wants. He points to Aaron's sons who died as an example for what happens when priests don't take this role seriously. Aaron is to wash himself that he might be physically clean to come make the offering. After that, he is to sacrifice a bull to make himself spiritually clean. Then he can sacrifice the first goat. There are two so he can make the Holy of Holies clean. The problem was that the general sin of an entire nation slowly began to bleed into the tabernacle and into the Holy of Holies. Hence, once a year, Aaron needed to go in and purify the Holy of Holies. Aaron would then take the second goat and lay his hands on it, placing the sin of an entire nation onto this one goat. Someone else took that goat and led it out into the wilderness before letting it run free essentially removing the sin of the people from the land completely. Some Bible translations may call this the lot for Azazel. Azazel literally means powerful spiritual being. And the idea here was that he was the spirit being that ruled the chaotic wilderness. As a being of chaos, the Israelites were sending a goat loaded with toxic waste of their sin into Azazel's realm. They were sending the chaos caused by their sin back into the realm of the chaos. Finally, Aaron's the one who led the goat into the wilderness, would wash themselves and purify themselves one last time. Next comes some very particular rules on sacrifices and meat. As already mentioned, the Israelites are traveling through the wilderness, which is considered the realm of chaos. Some of the Israelites were making sacrifice to goat demons in order to protect themselves as they traveled through the wilderness. As this was an offense to God, he introduced a new rule that any animal sacrificed for any reason, including food, had to be done at the tabernacle to put an end to anyone making sacrifice to goat demons. We then get God forbidding anyone from eating blood. All blood needed to be drained out of the meat before they ate it. The 
The reason for this was it was the blood in their sacrifices that purified them. And so God wanted them to see blood as important and significant. In Leviticus 18, we have a lot of rules about sex. Some of them may seem like common sense to us. But maybe that's because by this point, these rules have been around for three and a half thousand years. Before this point, particularly in the surrounding nations, this stuff was common. This is why the chapter opens with the command not to do as the people of Egypt or Canaan do. The focus of this chapter is actually maintaining the family unit and the family line. The first collection of rules is about not having sex with family members. When you start having sex with family members, the family line starts to become very confusing. Your uncle is now somehow your brother. The Israelites' whole community was built on family and tribes. So it was important that they kept those clear family lines. The second collection of rules is less about not confusing the family line and more about maintaining it. We get rules about not having sex with someone in their period, not sacrificing your children to Moloch, one of the gods of the neighbouring nations, men not having sex with other men, and not having sex with animals. You may have strong or conflicting opinions on some of these. The point of these was this. Israel was meant to grow and prosper. To do that, it needed children. Three of these are ways of having sex that don't produce children, and one of them involves killing the children you already have. If Israel were to engage in these acts, their family lines would die out, and they wouldn't grow as a nation. That's the context that these laws are written in. And then let's jump to Psalm 35. This psalm is attributed to King David and falls into the category of a lament psalm. It can be split into three sections, with each section ending with a promise of praise. Here is a summary of the structure, but I would recommend checking out the written version of this commentary in the description to see the structure properly for yourself. So we start with verses 1 to 3, a prayer for help in battle. Verses 4 to 8, a request for enemies to fall. And verses 9 to 10, a promise of praise. Then verses 11 to 16, we get a lament. Verses 17, we get a request for help. And then verses 18, another promise of praise. Finally, verses 19 to 26, it's a request for enemies to be put to shame. Verses 27, a request for supporters to rejoice. And then verse 20, a final promise to praise. And the psalm opens with a call to God for help. Military language is used to ask God to his protection. May he be a shield to protect and a spear to keep enemies at bay. The psalmist turns to his enemies and asks for them to be put to shame. They have pursued the psalmist and intended to harm him, so may they meet their own destruction. Having made his request, the psalmist looks forward to God's victory and deliverance. Trusting that God will intervene, they anticipate the sense of joy and praise that they'll bring to God. But then the psalmist dips back into lament. They bring to God the suffering and persecution they've experienced. This time, legal language is used. Their enemies are like witnesses that have accused them in court, seeking their defeat. What's made it worse is the psalmist grieved and mourned for their enemies when they were struggling. He treated them as friends and family, but now they rejoice at his struggles. So the psalmist asked God to intervene, to rescue them from his attack. And once again, he looks forward to that moment where God breaks in and the praise that he will speak out before many. One last time, the psalmist turns to his enemies and asks that God put them to shame. May they no longer be able to rejoice because they have pursued wickedness and deceit. It has felt like God has been absent in this situation. So the psalmist asks that he rise up and vindicates them, put to shame their enemies and give their supporters a reason to rejoice. Finally, the psalmist ends with anticipation. God will intervene and punish the wicked. And when that happens, the psalmist will speak God's praise all day long.